reality is some some kind of a fractal structure. And so we see similar patterns nestled within similar pat patterns all the way up and all the way down. And the same is probably true for the nature of consciousness and how we use it to engage the world from like the very minutia of our daily lives to like our grandest life's work or efforts. You're listening to The Wake Up Podcast with Alex Fetsky. The place where the most dynamic thinkers and practitioners in the world drop truth bombs and contrarian viewpoints to help you become the best version of yourself. Find us on the Fountain app and send us a boost with a comment. John Vallis joins me for part four of the Money Messiah series. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the hero archetype and what that means for humanity, both historically and in the present age. We discuss gradations of consciousness, reincarnation, the ego, paradigm shifts, and a whole lot more. Remember to follow John on Twitter at John K. Vallis and subscribe to the Wake Up Podcast for more. Enjoy the show. And then to the extent that some of those people hadn't fully taken the orange pill yet, you know, we, we, we would just corner them. Like one of the things that comes to mind is uh, Leopoldo Lopez, who was, he, he's an activist from Venezuela. Um, apparently, like, I think he was the mayor of Caracas or, an, or a, an area of Caracas. And anyways, he was like a political prisoner um, as a result of Maduro. And he was in jail for seven years, solitary confinement for four ended up getting out just a tremendous dude like he's a really sincere um kind of guy and convicted and strong kind of guy and his conviction is for the cause of freedom but he you know he hadn't he hadn't really taken the orange pill yet right so he was asking about web three and proof of stake and all this other garbage and uh my and we had been talking to him on because we would do like hikes in the mountains and dinners and stuff like that we would always be talking to him but one in particularly intense moment I remember is uh, myself and Gigi and Obi and Nick Carter and Troy crossed, I think is his surname. Um, we're in a sauna with this guy, uh, Leo. And <laughs> like he was in the corner, I was pouring like water on the thing and it was excruciatingly hot. And like Gigi and Obi were just yelling over each other at him for, you know, an hour. Um, <laughs> And, you know, to his credit, instead of just being like this, this situation is too intense. He like he kept asking questions. He stayed with it. And uh, I got a message from him yesterday and he was like, you know, basically just thanks. Good to meet you. This kind of thing. And he was like, and I also now know that there's no such thing as Web3 proof of stake is garbage. And Bitcoin is the way that we establish more freedom in the world. And, I'm, you know, I'm committed to learning more and using it in my causes and that kind of stuff. So so, you know great experience with a lot of great people. And uh, maybe I'm, Bitcoin is still where I obviously want to place most of my focus, but yeah. perhaps somewhat less cynical about uh, people that take different approaches to trying to do good in the world for these causes, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the lesson of the story is lock people up in a sauna, heat it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't shut the people in an intense environment. Relax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the weight of the maximalist. I love it. Uh, I will. I'll remember that the next time I need to convert someone. <laughs> like, follow me. 
Um, yeah. yeah. And then jumping in the, the Arctic water in between, you know, to just refresh and like clean the slate and then get back in and go cold <laughs> or again. Just imagine like basically waterboarding someone's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you accept that coin? Yeah, but Web3, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what it was like. And, you know, Gigi was there. So there was no shortage of like deeply esoteric components of mm -hmm. it all either. <laughs> And, you, you know, sometimes that can scare people away. I mean, you could forgive people for thinking we're a bunch of psychopaths because like totally. we're there like sweat, you know, dripping with sweat, fully red, just like big eyed, like trying to do the fire hose thing. And uh, but anyways, I guess he, he thought we were sufficiently rational not to dismiss us. And he seems to be on board. So a lot That's of that kind of stuff. Yeah, That's a lot of that sign. kind of stuff happened. Uh, Francis and I had a similar kind of experience in Santa Teresa where we were on. Um, where we jumped in the sauna with we the only difference was that we were outnumbered it was like four of them and two of us um but they were they were kind of like founding members of santa Teresa. they've been there for like 25 30 years since it was basically a barren beach and yeah. you know that they were you know not 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 your you know oslo freedom forum people but also um maybe maybe of a similar ilk in the sense that you know, they kind of, the, the main guy, he, he had left America because he was sort of sick and tired of the whole, you know, constriction on rights and all this sort of stuff. So he left for like, you know, kind of hippie motivated freedoms. Um, you know, he, he's, he's your typical character who would have, you would have seen at like a Woodstock or something like that, you know, long ass hair and all that sort of shit. And, um, and kind of same sort of naivete, you know, like th they were totally, you know, anti the lockdowns, anti the, you know, injections all that sort of stuff but you know that they, they were kind of like blind men searching for the door you know like looking for freedom and talking about ways in which uh we can i guess enact freedom and then yeah obviously <clears throat> ended up in a sauna with me and francis and we were kind of the same thing and yeah the, the funny thing is 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 prior to understanding bitcoin and this was definitely the case in a lot of the conversations and talks that I had and saw at the Freedom Forum is people seem like it seems unavoidable that people believe that the answer ultimately is just to recreate the state, but with the good people in charge or with them yeah. in charge. Yeah. And they fail, I think, to recognize or appreciate that even if they are great people and even if that resolves things for a time they haven't changed at all the things that lead to the, mm -hmm. the ultimate degradation or corruption of the system and so like however great your reimagining of the state is or however great and noble the people that you think should be in charge are once you get the bad guys out uh it's not a real solution mm -hmm. and like 99 percent of them fail to see that but once you start to understand Bitcoin and its implications, then you can start the road of understanding how that's the case and why, therefore, the emphasis should be placed on building out this parallel system and worrying about like, I know it's easy for us to say because some people have very immediate concerns regarding governance, but like, let's worry about the nuances of governance later once we once this system is more ubiquitous and this parallel economy is more is much much larger and people are more familiar with it and people have established their own sovereignty individually mm -hmm. and then govern governance will coalesce uh naturally along the lines that this system uh requires or permits 
you know, it'll, it'll be sorted out then, but it's very, you know, it's very hard for them to step out of the paradigm. And as a result, a lot of the solutions are very much just a rehashing of, of prior, prior ones that failed, let's say. Totally. The, what, what comes to mind there is an analogy I used to use, which is the train track analogy. Like the train tracks are pointed in the wrong direction. So it doesn't matter if you swap out the driver, uh, you know, you might place a better conductor in there who slows the train down when you should and all that sort of shit, but the tracks are still pointed off the edge of the fucking cliff. You haven't done anything. You've just swapped the yeah. conductor out. And that's, that's kind of the, yeah, the, the key word I think you mentioned there is the paradigm. It's like, Bitcoin is a paradigmatic shift. It doesn't, it's not a alteration of what we have today. It's like a, it's detached. It's incompatible with the status quo. And that, that's what I think sometimes I remember writing, a, <clears throat> I wrote like a response to one of Ray Dalio's pieces where he blabbered on about like how, you know, the world is changing uh, at a paradigmatic level um, and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the, the outcome of his whole thesis of a paradigm shift is that China is going to be the new leader. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you fucking yeah. talking about? Yeah. And like, and it's, it's, it's crazy because like a paradigm shift genuinely has to not, but it's, it's, it has to be unlike what the, the paradigm the current paradigm looks like and it's you know electricity was a good example it had nothing to do with fire like mm. it's completely different force and and it just it it fried people's minds they just weren't ready for it and it, it, you know well that's why it's so hard to see you know like yeah. that's why yeah. you can be the brightest person in the room and you might miss a paradigm shift which is also why it's so transformative because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it completely reframes your framework for understanding what's possible and as a result who you should be or how you should act in that realm of possibility to achieve the things you desire. Like once that whole framework changes, you necessarily change because the landscape that you're operating within to achieve what you desire is totally different. And that means you have to be different to get it. And this mm -hmm. is why transformations are so uh, such an inextricable component of paradigm shifts once you see them. And which is why I think ego often gets in the way because some people are so very much attached to their identity and who they are and their accolades and status and all that kind of stuff that you don't want to see yourself differently and you don't want the landscape to change that dramatically because it does mean that you need to recharacterize or reconstruct your conception of yourself. And ego is a big impediment to that. And as a result, like people with the biggest egos often are the ones that uh, have the most challenge in perceiving paradigm shifts, it seems to me. Interesting. What, what, what's your what's your thoughts on the relationship between sort of like the ego and craziness? Because see, many people would say I've got a massive ego, like, and I've heard that many times. Um, <laughs> I seem to appreciate Bitcoin, so I don't know. You know, what, what's you know? Do do you think <clears throat> it's a it's a flavor of ego, or do you think it's um? <clears throat> do you think it's an ability to direct ego? Do you think one must be crazy with enough of an ego? Like, what's your thoughts there? It's a good question. I mean, I think what initially comes to mind is like ego can take many forms, right? Like when I say the word ego, I fully include things like insecurity. You know, that's a manifestation of ego too. It's not just like egotistical behavior as we normally conceive of it. Like I'm better than everybody else, you know, fuck you. It's more of like a rigid identification with a, a rigid identity that you use to act in the world. Like we were discussing in the last one. And, you know, that rigid identity might necessitate or might conjure up insecurity and doubt because it's not compatible with 
you know, the world that it's interfacing with or, and actually I think oftentimes, um, egotistical behavior is like a compensation for insecurity. You know, like I, I think the ultimate confidence is not egotistical behavior. It's calmness, let's say, or peace in any situation, not like I'm so much better than you listen to how smart I am, that kind of stuff. That to me is very clearly a manifestation of insecurity. Um, so, and, but I, like, I often say this myself, like, I think ego is an, it exists for a reason, right? Like, and we talked about this last time, like our ability to enter in to different identities when the situation calls for them is a type of mastery. And so like when you need to enter into an extremely competitive aspect of yourself, like whether we're doing hill sprints or whether it's in business or whatever, I think it's totally fine, even natural, even advantageous to be viciously competitive. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if I made this joke with you or, or on another pod, but like if we're doing hill sprints, I'm going to fucking destroy you. And like, mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to jeer you and I'm going to be smack talking you the whole way. And even if I know I'm going to lose, like, I'm going to do it just to give myself a greater chance of like totally. psyching you out and winning. Right. But the difference is, is knowing that you're engaging that consciously versus your ego, basically directing your behavior subconsciously and you not being aware of it. Right. The, the, the trick is to know how and when to engage it, not to it, not to think that it doesn't exist, you know, for, for good or for bad. Like, you know, you're some holy hippie spiritual person who, who doesn't have one, or you're so fully into it that you don't even recognize it's there. The, the separation between whatever that eternal aspect of awareness is and the different manifestations of what you, what you can be, right? The different forms of your ego, let's say, is, seems to me to be the rub, seems to me to be mastery, to be able to move between all of them. And, you know, and that, that's the ultimate confidence too, right? And this, we talked about this last time, but for you to be able to be the, the warrior and the intellect and the poet and, you know, whatever other aspects of yourself, when the moment most calls for them, mm -hmm. uh, I think delivers to you a, a, a quiet confidence or a calmness or a peace of some kind. And that's like the ultimate confidence, in my opinion. Totally. I, um, I've always had a, not always, but, you know, I, I went through the, you know, the hippie phase when I was younger. And, and, and one day I'm, I'm going to want to release some of the writings that I did from when I was in my early 20s because I was very, you know, spiritual way, you know, the, the flow and fucking mm. the Tao and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I was very anti-ego. And then, you know, as, as, I, as I grew older, one of the epiphanies that I had is, and the way I kind of try and sum it up these days is that the ego is a necessary component of one's individuality. Like the, the ego is your personal individuality. It is your separation right. from others. Um, and it's mm -hmm. completely, absolutely fucking necessary. Um, but the question is, do you direct your ego or does it direct you? Like who, who's, who's the, who's cause and who's that effect. And that's, that, I think that's basically with all of these things in the same way you just mentioned mastery is, your ability to flow between your personality types. So are you are you at their cause? Like do you fall into a rage uh, because you know you're you're a victim, you're at effect with the environment or the circumstances around you, or do you consciously choose to move into that high energy state for the purpose of winning a competition, right. saving some lives, like whatever the case is? And and it's the conscious direction 
of the use of said ego that, that matters. And that, that's why I don't like people like, you know, for example, that Ryan Holiday guy, he wrote a whole book about ego is the enemy. I was like, fuck, it's the dumbest book I've ever seen in my life. Like, no, it's not. Your ego is a part of you. How the fuck can a part of you be your enemy? Like, you know, the... Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there was more nuance in the book cause, like because I didn't read it. And like, I think we both appreciate that sentiment. So maybe it, it, he does flesh it out in a similar way that we've been here. However... His nah, way of behaving and, and engaging with people and interacting would lead one to think that perhaps that's not the case because, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we both so, probably feel similarly about that dude. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking indeed. I remember messaging him once. I emailed him. I was like, well, it was one of the... I um, saw the response. Yeah, yeah. I think I showed you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was on his original hysteria. I was like, whoa. Okay. Sorry, Mr. But I, I think another another aspect of ego, like if you're, because obviously we're all imperfect, right? And so I have ego that I'm not aware of that expresses itself mm-hmm. sometimes. And I have insecurity that I'm not aware of that expresses itself sometimes. Um, but I think as long as your, your quest for truth supersedes that, then you're probably going to be okay. Because I think the quest for truth is what re- restrains ego. Because ego mm-hmm. is kind of like that force that, presumes itself complete either consciously or not but if you're truly humble enough to always be seeking the truth of whatever domain of inquiry you're pursuing you have to restrain your ego at least to some degree to to permit the requisite data to come in so that you can have more more data to work with to try to perceive notice patterns and ultimately come to a greater approximation of truth so like Mm -hmm. if your dedication to uh, truth is sincere, then I think it it naturally subordinates ego or, or restrains it to some degree. That reminds me of um, Plastic's like static and dynamic value model, right? It's that the ego in many ways is kind of the this, the ossified framework of mm-hmm. the values mm-hmm. and it kind of gets you to a threshold, but you need to maintain a dynamic element to the ego, which is the ability to allow incoming information because otherwise you end up becoming stale you know too, too much static is too much stale and and you know that, that i guess is an argument against uh institutionalization as it occurs right and you you build an institution around a particular set of values that you thought were correct and yeah. then you kind of set them in stone and if they don't change or adapt or evolve you end up with tyranny effectively yeah to stultification or tyranny you know and, and this is why the the narrative of the regenerative hero uh back to peterson's work and the peace and mm-hmm. many other manifestations is so prevalent because there's a recognition whether you look at it through piercing's lens or peterson's lens or the judeo-christian lens that theme of order being a requirement for stability and to improve one's situation and the situation of all but the flip side of order being that stultification and tyranny are highly likely if there's not a revivifying force, if there's not a, an active recognition of the mm-hmm. importance of continuously uh, delving into the unknown and the, and the courage required to do that, to bring back something that helps to revivify and update the, pro- the previously established order. And you know, to do that, you need courage and you need, to, you need to even value the unknown and the terrifying, and you need to not have safety as a primary mm-hmm you know, goal or, or thing of importance, 
all those things are required and more to, to engage in that process that helps to revivify the balance between order and chaos, to use Peterson's terminology. And I think that's true, right? And obviously in today's day and age, I'm sure we both agree that we've kind of forgotten that. And like, what, what better of an example of that is the phrase, if it saves one life? What the fuck are you talking about? So if it saves one life, we'll shut down the entire economy, we'll create a million other problems in mental health and medical this and like and food supply and everywhere else. But in, if in this one domain that we're, we're focusing on, if it saves one life, then it's worthwhile. Like it's that's so asinine. And then, you know, Trudeau came out the other day and said when he the, the handgun policy that he is pushing through you know, one handgun death is too many in Canada. It's like, what the fuck are you actually talking? Like, and trust me, I'm beyond trying to as ascribe logic or reason to these idiots. Uh, but like, I can't imagine other people don't see like how asinine that sort of uh, uh, like logic is. Like, and but it speaks to this uh, obsession with safety above all else. And again, that is a very dangerous perspective to have because it negates the necessary danger uh, of the unknown and the value that resides within it and the necessity for you to, uh, to go in there despite the danger and get mm -hmm. it and bring it back and revivify things. And there's a, there's a, there's a lack of appreciation for that process, obviously. Total lack of appreciation, total blindness to it. You um, thank you for bringing up the regenerative hero because, like in my notes here, I've got you know this part of our conversation. I actually wanted to dive into the hero archetype, his struggle, um, and what what I've got here in my notes is kind of like the the process and products of probing the depth and dangers of the unconscious. So like we're already touching on that. So mm. so, so maybe could you? Could you maybe take a stab at like defining the hero archetype and, and, and why that's been uh, prevalent throughout all of history? Um, and, and even even in modern times, like all, what, what are movies centered around, right? A, a hero. So it's like, well, why is that archetype so central and so important to the evolution of society, of man, of of order and chaos, like how he embodies both, etc. There's a lot there, obviously. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think you know we've given some good examples already, but the point is that the hero is the one that has the requisite attributes and perspectives to mediate between both the forces of of order, which can which can be good and bad, and novelty or chaos, which can be good or bad. I mean, the the, the hero or you could call it the logos as well. It's the membrane between the two that allows you to mediate between them to establish the best possible experience of consciousness, let's say, experience of life, both as individuals and, and cultures. And it seems to be that the threat is being too much oriented towards one or the other. Like if you're too much oriented towards order, then again, like we've been saying, you either stultify or you become tyrannical because you say, no, this order that we've established is the best order. And this is what we need to do. And I'm right and you're wrong. And if I have the power, I'm going to impose what I think is right on you. And I'm not going to let, it, let in extraneous information because I've already figured it out. And this is like the communist uh, 
you know, tyranny, gulag sort of situation where things are imposed on people. And, and the, the thing about imposing what you think is right on people, and again, the communist regimes are exemplars of this, is that because it's impossible to deal with all the data to make quote unquote right decisions for everybody, you end up having to normalize all the people that you're trying to make decisions for until you get to a point where you everyone is exactly the same and those who aren't, you squash, i.e. You, you extricate from the system, you kill. And that's why the, these, these markets and these economies and these regimes always become so you know, gray and bland and horrible because they're trying to normalize uh, all of the outputs, all of the, you know, the people in that, that system to make it easier to manage and to control and to govern and to, to operate. And so, you know, everyone's got to wear the same clothes and everyone has to eat the same food and everyone has to act a certain way because that makes the job of centrally controlling things easier given an infinity of potential data inputs. And, you know, obviously they fail, right? And, and I think whether we're talking about religion or Harry Potter or any of these stories where, you know, this idea of the hero is involved, they recognize that that's, that's always what happens. You know, you, if, and if you don't have that humble mediating force that presumes that there's always something within the unknown that is both valuable and necessary to bring into the prior established order, if you don't recognize that that mediatory force is necessary, you will destroy yourself. And of course, I mean, I guess the, on the opposite side, you know, there's value in the chaos, but if you lean too much into the chaos, you become let's say, you know, the psychopath, right? The, 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 the person with the mentality yeah. of, well, yeah, so either the burn it all down, nothing is worth anything, there is no meaning whatsoever, or potentially the hippie that doesn't sufficiently value order for what it is. And maybe that's like a, a, a lesser intensity or gradation of, yeah. of that chaotic archetype. Um, but yeah, they don't appreciate the, the order that's been established and how order gets established. And therefore, they, they lack order and they, they uh, their experience is, is, is lesser or there's a detrimental outcome to, to that experience as well. So the, the hero archetype is seemingly what humans have just observed their behavior over the course of millennia and said, oh, these are the attributes required in a, like an optimal functioning human to both ex have the best, best experience of individual consciousness and optimize the harmonious interaction with other people, i.e., you know, creating a, a culture or society or a market. These are the attributes that are, are most required to optimize both of those domains. So, and, and they're so consequential that they form the basis of the most impactful stories wherever they're represented, in religious narrative, in entertainment, wherever. I mean, they, they we're constantly reminded of, of the importance of this type of approach to things. And oftentimes that approach requires a humility. It requires courage. It requires, a, a, as we were saying, you know, a more fluid identity, because if you try to maintain a rigid identity and pass through all these different domains of chaos, but also potential value, it'll break you. you you're too rigid for those things. So you, you need to adopt uh, an identity that's more malleable to the situation and environment which you might find yourself in so that it's maximally capable of identifying value within the chaos and then extracting it, reintegrating into yourself and, re and expressing it back out into the culture society that you exist within for their benefit as well. 
And then, you know, and that's the whole point. And I think one of the, you take that to its, its extreme. And part of that has to be your acceptance of death as a result of involvement in that process. Like, and I think that's almost like the limiting factor of how much benefit you can derive from it. If you're the hero, like your ultimate endeavor or quest into the unknown for what is of greatest value will push you to the limits of whether or not the thing that you're seeking is more valuable than even yourself. And I, again, this is why it kind of winds up in metaphysical or theological or, or religious narrative, because that like, you know, the idea of sacrificing yourself to a higher ideal is prominent among those those pursuits, um, but I, it seems to me to be right. And should you not be seeking the value that is worth giving your life? Not to say that you wanna give your life because obviously most people don't, but should you not be seeking the thing that you would most justifiably give it because of the value that it represents? And ideally you, conf you, you identify that value, you confront it, you don't have to give your, your real physical meat space life to it, but you most likely have to give up your identity to it, back to what we were saying before, to, to whatever that, the, the truth of that value is, you have to relinquish your prior identity that was based on a, a lesser truth or a lesser value, right? In order to adopt that new one, because that will then be, become a framework for orienting your behavior, back to this idea of the paradigm shift and, and how it in, influences your personality and, and, and your behavior. And that seems to be the apex of that, that narrative and that, and that story. And what do you know? It's represented everywhere uh, in different forms and in different uh, complexities and, and uh, you know, with, with different art. And uh, it's not always so uh, specific or whatever. You know, there's basic ways of uh, communicating or expressing this and there's highly complex ones, but it seems to be everywhere. And so... This is why I, I spend a lot of time these days and in the article trying to put forward the notion that religious narrative, because in, in the modern era, religious narrative has been dismissed just out, outrightly. Like, how stupid? There's no man in the sky, you fucking retard. Like, how stupid can you be? And that's just the, the wrong way to be attempting. If you're, if, like we were saying before, if you're truly seeking truth, you need to be humble enough to confront these things and say, huh, like extremely wise, bright, like smart people throughout time have been working on this and they've come up with these stories, these narratives, these expl explanations of these things. Maybe me, just by virtue of being a person in 2022 with no special, you know, knowledge training or time spent trying to understand or contemplate these things, Maybe I shouldn't so easily dismiss that that prior work, you know, because maybe I don't I'm, I'm not just wise and virtuous by default, by virtue of being a person, a modern person in 2022. Maybe that's not the case. I had myself muted. Um, I took some notes here, man. So, so beautifully said. I think you're, you reminded me of a couple of things. One I wanted to start with is like um, the question of. Actually, no, before I ask that question, you mentioned the word sacrifice, and this seems to come up again and again and again in our discussion. And, and I want to delve into it in a, in, a, in a later part of our conversation, but sacrifice being a relative of value, right? And, you know, you mentioned the hero is the individual, 
who is willing to sacrifice their life or their identity or something that they're, they're willing to devote because I guess another like a, a synonym for sacrifice is devotion right so it doesn't mean you physically have to kill yourself for something you want to devote yourself to yeah. um, you know you you want to allocate your time and your energy which are your that's your lifeblood effectively towards something um totally and the the hero is he who he who does that um so I guess my, my to, to lead it back into the original question is who in your mind then is the hero because because generally the hero is the person you know who seems to rise above the rest so maybe there's two parts here like can everyone be a hero you know or is like you know is there a particular nature that is more you know more likely to be a hero that's a good question uh a couple of things immediately come to mind i mean i i don't think two people can be the exact same hero in the exact same place at the exact same time but they they most likely needn't be so that perhaps is not a pro like perhaps you don't get into the problem of like the relativity of heroism for example right like if we're all heroes and nobody's a hero type of thing but the the, the reality is we're all going to be different types of hero in different types of places in different times, right? Even if the, if the difference is minuscule, right? There's no definite, like this hero thing, like it's not just going for the greatest value and bringing it back and being the hero, like, you know, King Arthur sort of thing. The, the reason these stories are written in an archetypal form to explicate a process of engaging life that takes place on a daily basis everywhere. Like it, it's a way of engaging reality, not a grand effort that, you know, uh, characterizes your life's work, although it can be that, too. Right. Because these things can operate on every scale. I mean, it, I'm, I'm fairly amenable to the notion that reality is some some kind of a fractal structure. And so we see similar patterns nestled within similar patterns all the way up and all the way down. And the same is probably true for the nature of consciousness and how we use it to engage the world from like the very minutia of our daily lives to like our grandest life's work or efforts, you know? So I don't, I don't think, I think everybody can be the hero, I guess, to answer uh, that aspect of your question. And the other one is the, the other reason why that may be true is because I think if it's, if it's done properly, it's not defined by, it's not relatively defined, I guess we'll say it this way. I think the hero is defined by their relationship to absolute truths or values or principles, not their relationship to how other people are doing whatever they're doing. And by that, I mean, like, again, as we to continue the theme that we've been discussing, like, if you're devoted to or if you subordinate yourself to or if you sacrifice not your life but your whatever resources are at your disposal to the cause of truth or to the cause of liberation let's say and you are continuously refining your ability to do that if you're continuously um like reserving your own like ego your own identity of yourself to try to gain a greater awareness or unity with those very principles and then you're bringing you're orienting your life or you're integrating them into your life uh, 
as, as well as you can, or you, or you continue to have that devotion or commitment throughout your life. Like, I, I kind of think that's, that's what the hero's journey is. It's like, and, and, and being okay with whatever that pursuit elicits in terms of life experience. Like that's like, if you just pursue the outcome of the experience, if you pursue a relative judgment between you and another person, I think you're missing it. If you pursue or devote yourself to the highest principles, then whatever, whatever happens is what's supposed to happen in a sense. And like your job is to mediate them as virtuously and with as great a, a adherence to those principles and values as possible, such that over time you integrate them more, you understand them more, you become a greater expression of them. And that's, I think that's the rub. Like, you know, what is unifying with the mind of God other than, um, inching closer or, or unifying to the supreme values of like truth, freedom, and love, for example. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but th that's kind of the answer that comes to mind. Kind of, kind of. So, so then, you know, a question to follow from that is like, can Trudeau be a hero? Oh, I've, you know, it's funny in these conversations, like obviously we talk about like these big uh, philosophical things and we're like being the more uh responsible or restrained or higher versions of ourselves, and i really want to just give like the lower version answer of like that guy's a piece of shit and like i hope <laughs> the worst things befall him <laughs> but um of course he can is the answer right because ultimately really why yeah well he has the capacity like you know um he's a human being just like you and i and and i think that means he has the capacity. I don't think like he, so yeah, I mean, I think he can, I don't think he's going to, I, I think he's completely dominated by his ego. I think he lacks awareness of these greater principles that we've been discussing almost absolutely. I think he is a manifestation of, you know, the knowledge that presumes itself complete, which you might call ego, you know, which you might call that tyrannical force that does not have the requisite humility to devote themselves to these higher principles. And as a result, becomes a tyrant becomes the very emblem of stultification and staticness i think he like his behavior up to this point is very much that but in terms of capacity like there's nothing different in his like the machinery of his body and mind and consciousness and soul and whatever else encompasses a human that this allows him from 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 doing that you know from changing his ways what what is because there is? I feel because I feel like your question is asking again, like in the relative realm, like you know, can he be a hero in in other ways, perhaps, like or to to people that agree with him, or maybe maybe you should flesh that no, out more in terms of what you mean. Yeah, funny enough, I wasn't even actually asking that, but that's a, that's another that's another way to approach the question. I was actually more referring to like, do you, do you think there's something in people's nature that differentiates them, and you know, it has the different propensities. So, so you, know, you know, is there something that makes us different? So this is probably a little bit of a Nietzschean idea is, you know, Nietzsche believed that there was two types of people. Basically, you kind of like outline the, the NPCs and mm. the, you know, the, the greats, basically. And, yeah. you know, he, he sort of said that in the, you know, in the late 1800s when he was still alive, you know, his whole thesis was that the world would be overrun basically by Lenin's and NPCs and the lowest common denominator. And from 
that uh, tyranny of the lowest common denominator, the, the new heroes would rise. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I haven't read enough of Nietzsche to really have a, have a solid thing to say, but like Rob Malka, who I don't know if you've met him yet, but he's, um, maybe you should say we're getting him in the pot, but he's, he's like so well read on that kind of stuff. And he, he and I have had a couple of discussions around Nietzsche and, and his work. And obviously, Peterson quotes him a lot and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's a major rabbit hole that I want to go down. In fact, the, the guy that I mentioned the other day, Rudolf Steiner, um, met Nietzsche and was like blown away by his stuff. So he wrote a whole like, I think one of his first books was actually a dedication on Nietzsche's philosophy. So like, you know, major rabbit holes to, to go down. But, you know, where I'm getting at is that he, he makes the argument that that there is no space to be a hero for some of these people who are predisposed naturally to, to be like this. So, so I wonder what your thoughts are on that, because that is a, that is a very contentious uh, sure. idea. Um, yeah, I guess it partially depends on what he means by predisposed naturally. You know, are we, are we talking all the way down to DNA? Because, you know, obviously cultural and familial conditioning uh, goes a long way to determining the type of people that people become, right? But I, but my, I guess my answer is like I don't think I don't think I can ascribe the requisite value to everyone to be humble enough to pursue truth, generally speaking. If I don't ascribe to everyone the same fundamental value, and so like I don't think there's anything different like on a fundamental very fundamental level between someone who might you know answer the the hero's calling more than someone who's apathetic and uh complacent and you know happy to become a member of of the the collective or the mpc crowd like i think a lot of that is is determined by conditioning and experience and all that kind of stuff and again, like we were saying before, I mean, it's, it's, I think of like some, whatever person you think exemplifies or embodies like the hero in today's society, right? It's probably someone who's accomplished something really great or someone who's shown like extremely virtuous or strong character in the face of, you know, stacked odds or something like that. But as we were saying, like, I think it's a mode of being and it's almost like the, the scenario or the circumstances determine how that mode is expressed. So you can be the hero doing your laundry at home and interactions with your loved ones and your family and your neighbors, like the same principles that orient that behavior, uh, have a, have a expression in that scenario and environment. And then if you place them in the highly, you know, high stress, high intensity, highly consequential environment, then they're expressed in a different way. But I don't think they're fundamentally different orientations around certain values. And so, I do think everyone has the capacity to be a hero, but again, you know, again, I'm, I'm a huge social critic, let's say, and I think in, in our world today, it's very unlikely that, because, you know, part of the way I think about this is like, why, and it's hard to say this without sounding somewhat douchey, but like, let's just operate under the premise that you and I have somehow extricated ourselves from the malaise of cultural and media and governmental conditioning and 
we are at, we're probably above average quote unquote free thinkers, right? We, we've probably attempted to decondition ourselves and then reconstruct ourselves along seeing clearly, pursuing truth and whatever other values and principles we determine to be most validly oriented by. Why, you know, why was that? You know, maybe we came from families where we're the only person that really had that orientation or, or at least had the same dedication to that. Um, what made us that way? Was it genetic? Was it like a one little fork in the road experience when we were younger that gave us an inspiration about wanting to go this way rather than that way? And, you know, that fundamentally changed the course of our lives. Like it's very difficult to determine why we become the people we become and why us and not somebody else and all that, you know, crazy seeming randomness of, of the universe and reality. Um, but I still, I got to have faith that everyone, everyone has the capacity to, uh, everyone has the capacity to pursue the highest truth, let's say, and embody and express what they find. And we're all on different timelines and journeys and capacities and opportunities. And that dictates how far we go. But I, I, I need to kind of have that faith to have to, why do I need that? Perhaps to have the humility to ascribe everyone um, the requisite value to believe that I can learn something from them on my own journey, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, in my 20s and early 30s, wholeheartedly agreed with that. Um, <laughs> so, something, something shifted for me <laughs> recently. And, and I, I've, I've had this, I've asked basically the same question to a bunch of people that have been on the show. Like basically I call it the nature nurture question, right? Because we don't know, it's impossible to know what, what uh, percentage of our personality is nature, what is nurture, right? Like mm. we don't know what was conditioning and what was just a, a, pre, a, a genetic predisposition towards a particular thing. And the, I don't know, the, the more, the more stupidity I see in the world, the more I actually lean towards nature uh, being the, um, being the, the leading factor of the differences in people and less, and less nurture. Uh, and th th there's a whole, there's a whole host of books on it. Um, Trav, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with him, Metatrav or Parabolic Trav, uh, which I want to call himself these days, um, he uh, he gave me a book which I'll I'll send to you after the call and I'll put it in the show notes as well. I can't, can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's a I think it's called the Nurture Trap or the Nurture Paradox or something like that. But it's a it's a lady who's basically done an entire book about like your, your kids have a particular nature and there's very little. Uh, there's very little use in trying to nurture them in a particular direction. You know, mm. what, the, the, the best way to raise them is to help them build on their nature. Um, and then, you know, that, that kind of brings with it a whole, whole host of other, of, of other questions, but it's, um, I don't know, man, like I, I look at me and my brother, for example, and we basically had the same upbringing. Very, 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 very similar upbringing. Yeah, we were in, you know, a, a different class, for example, uh, in terms of like school. Like, so he was one year younger than me, but we're basically twins, and we we had, and we we 
there's a lot of similarities with respect to how we perceive the world, but there are fucking fundamental differences. Like, it's mm. funny, I, I took a screenshot of a, of a text he sent me uh, this morning, actually, and it says, hey, I'm going to um, go short MicroStrategy and um, another Bitcoin company and Tesla. He's like, these guys are going to get destroyed. Uh, you better get out of your Bitcoin. Um, oh, my God. Now's the time. And <laughs> I was looking at it and i just took a screenshot and i was like okay bro go hard <laughs> yeah like, like it's just i don't know man like you know even even paloma her and her sister just completely fundamentally different natures like her sister is a complete fucking nazi corona hysteric like right four boosters six masks like her own fucking mum was visiting from dominican republic and she locked her in a fucking room because she sneezed. She locked her in the room for six days and made her take three tests. Like, all sorts of weird shit. And I was like, wow. are you fucking kidding me? Like, so, so I don't know. Like, and, and Paloma was like, when she was young, she, she wasn't like that. Like, um, but, you know, well, so, so maybe that's an argument for conditioning. I, I don't fucking know. But, but, but I guess that the primary question here is like, what determines how and what your consciousness ascribes relevance to? Because that'll determine most of it. Mm. What, what determines that? Because that'll determine what you think is interesting, what you think is scary, what you think is valuable, what you think is all these things. So like, how is that net? And like, how is that working? And I think it's, it's, we, sh we should be careful about uh, being too confident about an answer to that question. And, you know, the, the oversimplified example I often use, but I think it, can be it might be fairly useful it's like if if you and i or if you or i grew up in like a hundred person amazon rainforest tribe we just wouldn't be who we are today like and it's not just like we can't even identify all the different environmental factors that would make us different you know all the different nuances of language and culture and diet and environment and like it's an infinitude of different inputs that are striking us that are literally forming our relevance machinery right and so who knows what that environment would have elicited like if you and i were born to the same family but we were just you know adopted by um you know one of those tribes on day one like we just we'd be totally different now maybe maybe, maybe, maybe there would be certain components of our behavior within the tribe like maybe we'd be like maybe courage is like somehow a little mm -hmm. bit uh, over, it was like turned up in us a little bit. And that would have an expression within the confines of that culture and that environment. And that would still be expressed in some capacity, maybe. But I don't, like, I don't think it's even possible to, to determine that. It's, it's too much potential influence. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's the problem with analyzing these things is that you can't run a test and you can't prove it uh, one way or the other. But you know, my, my argument there was gonna be that I think our nature would just be uh, magnified uh, in, you know, in, in the current culture because current culture is, you know, is a lot louder, for example, than that kind of a culture. But I think the same way as the hero archetype is the person who ascribes higher value towards freedom, truth, courage, etc. You know, he, he, that archetype existed also in the Amazon and in sure. ancient Rome and in you know, all sorts of places. It seems to be a particular nature that trends towards the embodiment of 
the hero archetype as opposed to the embodiment of the Judas archetype or the NPC archetype or the fucking you name it archetype, right? Sure. But I mean, there's a reason why that the narrative of the hero still appeals to everyone, even if they're well into the collective or NPC uh, group, mm-hmm. you know, it may not, it may not inspire them to the same degree, but like the reason why these are the stories, which humanity has always coalesced around and propagated and rehashed in various different ways is because even if you're that, you know, person living a quiet life of desperation, you know, in a shitty office job and a shitty life and a shitty, like everything is shitty and you don't have, you haven't, ascribe to yourself the, the sufficient courage or capacity or inspiration to extricate yourself from that situation. It's those stories still, I mean, even if they're just an escape, they still are the escape that you want because they're speaking to you on some level. And I just, I, so I do think it applies to everyone. And this obviously is, is fundamental in many religions that like everyone is capable of transcending their, their conditioning or their circumstance and, and rising to, a higher potential. Um, so I, I just, you know, I, I, I guess that's call it a, some kind of a faith, but I, I don't, my, my worldview or my framework doesn't gel with everything else. If I presume superiority over anyone else on a fundamental level. Hmm. That's a, I think it's a rabbit hole worth exploring. Not, not on this pod, but you know, in some, in some private reading, uh, I'm I'm becoming increasingly convinced that there is a, there is a difference in people that goes beyond conditioning. Um, well, sure, sure, there absolutely there may be, but to what what level of importance do you ascribe to that difference? Because it, like, there's a difference between saying, sure, there's something deep in our in our makeup that causes us to be different or quote unquote outperform other people. That's one thing, but saying that that difference like is almost like divinely inspired separation or like uh, judgment between me and other people. And I'm therefore better like on a fundamental way. And because because if you really believe that, how can you not act it out? And to our prior point about saying like truth is or the, uh, the true pursuit of truth is a humility, you know, towards that enterprise and presuming presuming yourself to be fundamentally different or better than someone else, I think Im- impedes that in some way. And then the does other it, thing does is, does it need to impede that? Cause you, could you not have humility in that process by being, you know, genetically or, you know, constitutionally superior? I think in many domains, yes, but in the most fundamental one, no. So like in, in every other domain, but let, let's say like, I think I shared this with you on my last, in the last uh, discussion. But my definition, or part of it at least, of love and liberation, let's say, is the recognition of a lack of separation between all people and potentially all things. And I don't think you can have that belief or even that sensation to the extent that people have experienced it in mystical experiences or otherwise. Assume, like, it, 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 it presumes almost like axiomatically a fundamental equality between all things. Because absent that, you can't experience union with them. And I know we're speaking in, in kind of mystical terms here, but like, I actually believe that. And so the things that separate me from you or anybody else, all these things that we ascribe to our ego and all these things we've learned and talents and strength and disciplines and 
even even like genetic things that manifest in the interpersonal intersubjective space but in in the fundamental like i think there's something about each of us that is fundamental that is eternal that it is undifferentiated i don't know should we call that spirit soul consciousness spark of life animating energy whatever but that thing i don't think is differentiated between people and i think that is the most consequential or, or real aspect of us all because all the things that you like that about us, our talents and our preferences and all that, it's all transient. It's all like, you know, our names, all that stuff is learned or transient, or it's not as fundamental as that thing. And I think everyone has that same fundamental thing within them. And so I have to kind of ascribe an equality fundamentally. Now, once you get past that space, sure, like massive differences between people and they're very consequential. And, and we, we work those out in the interpersonal space, i.e. in markets. And in our behavior and all that kind of stuff, but you know, we're, I guess we're kind of dancing between like the the you know the spiritual fundamental realm and the once you know and the interpersonal space, and mm. maybe that's the cause of difference of opinion. Yeah, maybe, maybe I, I'm not. This I, I want to flash a photo of uh, you know that Danish lady who was like, "It's 2030. I have nothing." I know, I know, I get it. Look, it's like you look in her eyes. There's nothing there, John. There's nothing there. I I know. And trust, like I think all these mushrooms can help that bitch. (laughs) It's perfectly, it's perfectly possible and acceptable that most people never rise to experiencing or realizing this aspect of themselves. Obviously, I mean that's one of the tragedies of human experience, as far as I'm concerned. That so many people have a human experience and never realize what i believe to be this truth or have these experiences like that's totally possible and you know offline me and you would probably use some pretty fucking nasty language to uh (laughs) describe these people and what we think about them but again like that's the separation for me between like manifest behavior and fundamental constant like fundamental uh, a, a more fundamental aspect of of people um so yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the last thing I'll touch on that is, you know, do, do you feel a connection to trees and animals when you've, you know, gone through, for example, a mushroom trip and you've dissolved the? Did you feel a I mean, connection? And a connect, with everything connection like is is somewhat vague, but yeah. Okay. So I don't know how useful an answer will be to that question, but the answer is yes. Okay, because because I guess like the, where I'm leading to there is that we are fundamentally constitutionally different to a tree, right? Like we, mm. we're, we're at some form of higher order version of life. Like the, the way I try and explain it, and I'm, I'm writing a piece now where I kind of say that, you know, if, if life is this, sorry, you've got energy and life is kind of an anti-entropic manifestation of energy. And life is kind of like the, the fingertips of that anti-entropic force. And humans are the very fingertips of life. Like, so we're kind of like the most advanced or complex or ordered, important manifestation mm. of life. Um, so, so I guess using that gradation, uh, you know, are some people closer to the tree than they are to a human? And, and that's... <laughs> Yeah, well, this, this is actually saying it. This is actually an interesting thing to dive in on because, like, uh, as I said, like the answer is yes. I feel in those mystical experiences very connected to everything, but of course, I agree that human consciousness is 
at least in some way different than the consciousness should it exist of a tree right and consequential as well because it it would seem irrational to me that even if you have a perspective that ascribes to that fundamental force both like a like a an equality between all people but also a certain like eternalness or maybe maybe I should put it this way like to ascribe a relevance to the experience of life itself the experience of differentiated life so not the eternal force but the, the things that make us different and different and how we interact on that basis uh it would seem somewhat illogical that that eternal force is not at at least in some capacity that you know we obviously don't understand influenced by the actions taken by the meat sack that it's animating let's say and so this this obviously conjures up notions of like judgment at death or something that happens after death as a result of how you lived. And I, again, I think the religions oversimplify this. People take it literally. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But does the degree to which you adhere, subordinate yourself to, devote yourself to, orient yourself by these fundamental principles and values that we seem to be identifying in truth and freedom and love are the, the three that I often use. Does the degree to which you do that influence that eternal spark in some capacity? And, you know, like the, the Buddhists and, and I think the Hindus would, would say, yeah, it does. And that determines how you are reincarnated. You know, are you reincarnated as a dumb tree or are you reincarnated as something, you know, more complex, a higher version until you reach complete union with those principles and you experience moksha you stop the the cycle of rebirth because your soul has completely recognized itself in god let's say you know that kind of stuff is not so illogical to me like i'm i'm receptive to that way of thinking but of course you can never know if it's true or not or maybe you never know un until death but like mm -hmm. in my worldview and framework of trying to piece together a rationale along all of this stuff that that kind of a, of a process or perspective or mechanics is not outside the realm of possibility okay interesting so maybe that's uh, yeah and so i guess relevant to this conversation it would just mean that those people that we ascribe you know to the mpc class i mean maybe that animating force was a tree before you know <laughs> this one and, and they just made it to the the, the human <laughs> manifestation or incarnation and therefore you know they're not so good at it and, and maybe you and i have had a few goes already and, yeah, and maybe yeah, people yeah. even better than us have had a few you know maybe who the fuck knows but it's it's not so yeah so okay so maybe they're moving up the gradation or they could be With, moving back down who knows sure but Maybe that's why there should be some degree of empathy or some degree of understanding for them because they're on a process that we can at least appreciate or that we've gone through ourselves. And, you know, we should want them to ascend to a higher version of themselves because it benefits them and it benefits us. Benefits mm -hmm. us. So maybe there's no practical utility in thinking that we're any better than them also. Maybe mm -hmm. there's just a practical utility in, you know, orienting ourselves by the values that we think are most true and running that forward and seeing what the fuck happens and having a faith that by doing that, that is the best thing that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean that, that obviously it must start with the, 
with the individual orientation i i, I just wonder in a in a societal um in the framework of a society in which you must interact with people who are prone to behaving more like a tree um whether you know there's a you know, I think the the ancients did this well, which was the idea of ostracism. It's just like they just cut them out and dealt with them that way. Um, let me ask. Let me ask you this: assuming, well, assuming we're judging now in the interpersonal space, and I, you may not share this opinion, but let's just say we're operating under my framework, where you know, <laughs> fundamentally equality. But once we individuate dramatic differences and different talents and competencies and all that kind of stuff. What metrics should we be looking at to determine the relative worth? Is that the word we're using yeah. between people or, or competence? Because, and so that's the, the more important question, but this should con contextualize that, right? Like think about Bill Gates, one metric, 100 billionaire, whatever. To him, you and I are pieces of shit, at least as far as accumulating wealth is concerned. We're, we're the scum of the earth. We're so low, we can't even be considered. We should be ostracized, to use that example, if that's the metric. If the metric is virtuous character, and I don't know Bill personally, but I think he's a piece of shit, basically, uh, <laughs> and you probably do too, then maybe on that metric, we judge far more highly than him and he should be the one to be ostracized. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. what metric are we looking at when, when we're determining the relative worth of one person to another? Obviously, very, very, very tough question to answer. The, the two things that come to mind immediately is the, um, the, those with a propensity to be uh, what I would call do-gooders. So the ones who want to like... Uh, basically want to get involved in everyone's business um, for, for whatever fucking altruistic paintbrush they, they place on it. So it's like the, those who, from, from a lack of their own personal stability, see, seem to feel the need to mess with everything and everyone around them. Um, no, kind of number one. Number two is kind of the, um, the infringer's those who infringe on private property, I think that's kind of the line. Outside of those two things, basically anything should go. Um, and, and I don't know whether that's an adequate answer, whether that even answers what you're asking, but that's well, just like- it, it, it is a very tough question, obviously. And, yeah. and I think this circles back to the original question about the hero, because I think that problem the relative worth or value of anything, obviously that's consciousness, you know, that's the logos, but in terms of, you know, society and culture and markets has been a tough one. Like even in, in the execution of justice, how are we supposed to judge people? And I think this is why necessarily humans have conjured up one, the notion of God and two, the manifestation of God's word, i.e. in the Western sense, Jesus Christ, right? So it's one thing mm -hmm to have God as be the parameters for judging the worth of people. But that, that can be very vague, right? That's open to interpretation. And so what do these traditions, what do these cultures, what do these narratives conjure up? They conjure up a manifestation of God's word, the word mm -hmm. made flesh. And that is supposed to, one of the functions of, of the hero as represented in narrative form is to act as a judge, both for ourselves and for other people. 
So it's something that we judge ourselves by in the process of aspiring to something. And, you know, as a mechanism for in, in a conversation like this, for judging the worthwhileness or the value of different people and determining how we should judge people because mm -hmm. judgment is a necessary function of consciousness consciousness has to discern between has two to, things yeah. to, to do anything but the, the big problem of that is what is the thing that's allowing judgment to take place what is that filter of value the most valid filter of value let's say and i think that is one of the primary functions of religious and other forms of of heroic narrative and maybe all, maybe all narrative really, but a lot of it throughout history is to give us that value and judgment framework to orient ourselves, mm -hmm. to judge other people and to move through in our environments, our circumstances, reality, most efficiently to what is most, most valuable, at the, which can only be discerned as a result of that judgment. Very, 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 very nicely put. And, and that, I guess, to, to put a you know, lid on that idea is that that's effectively the Messiah, right? That is the, that, that archetypal, that uh, fleshy embodiment of the word is the, um, is the peak hero. And mm. yeah, that's, I, I guess that is, um, that is a much better answer than, um, so, so I guess what you're saying there then is those who deviate from that archetype the most are the ones who, you know, are, are, are worthy, are worthy of judgment or harsher judgment or, or ostracization. Of course, keeping in mind that everything is ultimately open to interpretation, interpretation you know, so yeah. like, how do you interpret the, the characteristics or the character of the Messiah? I mean, that's not, uh, it's not going to be exactly the same for all people, but realizing that we live in a necessarily subjective, you know, em environment, you know, individual environment, then that's maybe that's the best we can do, at least for now, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's, that's probably one of the, the functions that it serves. Yeah. And so would I be right then in assuming, well, I want to, I want to, I want to talk about Bitcoin a little bit here is the, um, Fuck, there's so many other notes. God damn it. Um, but you know, it, it's also interesting because if we look at the reason, again, what, the mistake that I think modern culture makes, and you know, Peterson has been banging on about this for a long time as well, it's like by virtue of that circumstance that we just described, that is. That is the place from which we get our notions of justice and from which we get our laws, because it serves as the fundamental parameters of judgment that we have available to us. The, the, the best ones we have, let's say, of, of, of judging interpersonal behavior. And so necessarily, when we come together on a less fundamental plane, let's say, uh, we draw from that realm in order to construct the laws that we use to orient our behavior with one another, to make them perhaps more explicit in some ways. But they're drawn from, from that example, you know, from, from that fundamental situation, let's say. And, and what happens when we, I guess, I'll give you an easy one. Uh, what happens when we ignore those? 
Well, if we're, if we're pursuing this same line of logic, if we untether ourselves or if we lose uh, our appreciation or if we fail to ascribe value to the ideas or concepts or notions which basically served as a way to coalesce to, to unify our ability to judge basically that we kind of like a shelling point for, 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 for judgment, for ascribing value, for ascribe, for determining right or wrong. If we do away with that shelling point to use a popular Bitcoin term, then things become more relativistic necessarily. You lose the, the absolute, you know, um, ability to judge at, at least absolute in reference to that thing and things become more relativistic because you don't have the same type of permanent parameter by which to to orient your perception and to make those determinations or judgments and i, I feel like it's a pretty people will probably be pretty receptive to that way of seeing the world today in that we've we've shrugged off and we've diminished the importance of uh these stories such that, you know, you bring up Nietzsche again, and I'm not as familiar with him as I should be either, but, you know, uh, his whole God is dead uh, quote, I think this is pretty much what he was referring to. If you get rid of that, then where, where is truth? How do you determine who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad, who's on the right side, the wrong side, who's worthwhile, who's not worthwhile, who should be killed, who should survive? How do you determine any of that? And, you know, uh, a hardcore materialist, rationalist scientist would, you know, give you some uh, explanation about, you know, looking back and observing history and, and, and like how people, what are the results of certain behaviors and how that affects the individual and, and the collective. But I would say to that, yeah, that's exactly what these religious stories are. They're just, they're just communicating them in a far more powerful way. And, and they're ascribing yeah. to it a, a far more fundamental nature. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. So you lose it and, and things go to hell. And again, if, if they are fundamentally, if the laws of the land are fund fundamentally predicated on that perceptual framing, then the laws aren't gonna last long after you lose that perceptual framing because you won't be able to determine or justify the validity of the laws any longer because you don't have the thing that does that. And so the laws will fall apart because people will, will let them. They won't, they won't think they're as necessary as they are. They won't know the source. Yeah. And I, again, I think we're witnessing something like that in the world today where, you know, laws can be changed and they, and they'll probably be changed as a result of, you know, the winds of temporary public opinion in many regards until you, you lose that leg in the stability of the culture and the society. And if you lose those two legs, I mean, the chair falls over, right? I, I don't, there, there's, there's definitely other forces of stability that exist, but you lose fundamental ones like that. And, you know, and then of course, obviously the money is, is one and how, how our interpersonal value exchanges are, 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 uh, constituted, you lose that. And that's another fundamental leg. And of course, like it's a cascading effect, right? Like you lose one, you more likely to lose the other, more likely to lose the other. And, and here we are, you know, chaos re-entering the previously established order and what you know to our great surprise emerges but a hero to bring to rebalance the forces of chaos and order and reconstitute you know 
our, ourselves and our civilizations uh, and bring back order and flourishing to the land, as it were. Indeed. Such a, okay, yeah. <laughs> Beautifully recapped. <laughs> Beautifully done, sir. You, you must, you must uh, be experienced on podcast or something because <laughs> great way to finish that thought. Um, I, I do, I do want to say one thing before we close this component off, and then I want to dive into a little bit of alchemy. Um, sure, keep keep going. I'm just gonna... I'll keep going. Yeah, the um, what what you mentioned there about the the removal of the importance, or, or kind of the the removal of the keystone, which is the the hero archetype, from society and from the narratives that are central to society is basically being seen in modern film actually like i've always been a bit of a film buff and just watching how pathetic film has become like the other the other night i um i watched the movie uh by the the new marvel movie eternals and man i fucking threw up in my mouth like every five minutes like basically the whole thing was just an, an attempt to do a bunch of um, propaganda to, you know, eliminate any notion of greatness in the West. So, like, you know, they they there's like this whole historic thing about like where the Eternals um, help society. They managed to throw in a jab against the colonialism and saying that you know the 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 worst thing that happened in the world was the Spaniards going uh, west. Um, and then in the end, um, the 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 traditional archetype of hero who is the the strong courageous male ends up being the evil one and of course the hero ended up being um you know the the woman and the gay guy <laughs> and i was like watching this stuff like what the fuck is going on like it makes me think it makes me think of the new matrix movie which was so yeah, horrible i don't know bro, if you saw that but dude dude the, the I had not only did I watch that in a cinema with a bunch of people who were wearing masks um, in Colombia, but that for me was one of the most heinous crimes. What the Matrix? You mean? Yeah, yeah, the Matrix yeah. Four was one of the most heinous crimes of cinematography ever to be perpetrated in the fucking history of humanity. <laughs> like, and like the the um the the epiphany that actually hit me after watching that was this idea that the great lies are hidden within obvious truths. So that film had a couple obvious truths, which were, you know, the pill popping and how society is kind of like, you know, denatured to the point of doing that. And everyone already fucking knows that. We all know there's a fucking epidemic of like, you know, people popping a pill for everything, but they sprinkled in these fucking ridiculous lies. They got rid of the one, they killed the hero. They like, they, they diluted, they basically took a shit all over the original fucking matrix, matrix, mm. matrices. Um, and yeah, but, but basically, yeah, all of this shit, all modern film seems to be the same. And like, by contrast, I watched Forrest Gump as well the other night. And it was so fucking good. It was like, I was thinking, what the fuck has happened in 20 years or however long it's been? I think it's almost 30 years now. Like, the, you know, that was a hero archetype. Forrest Gump was a fucking hero. And the whole thing has like been turned upside down 
and like I said, Stan Lee and uh, Walt Disney and all the greats that, you know, inspired the modern hero archetypes, they're all fucking dying second and third deaths at the moment, like in their grave, watching mm. watching the stupidity unravel. Um, I think this, we were, we referenced this last time when, you know, I, I mentioned, I talked about this like interplay between human behavior and our abilities to represent it externally, you know, which started with cave art and all the way till big, you know, box cinemas today. And this like back and forth feedback loop between the two. And like over time, as we've been describing, like one of the most common themes is this hero archetype. And, you know, it's probably, we probably don't care enough to get into like why the external representation is coming out in these forms today. I mean, obviously it has to do with the breakdown that we're experiencing, or at least I think it does. And this like collectivist mindset and this, rel this, this infinite relativity and this lack of, you know, truth and objective truth anywhere and all this kind of stuff. And you get representations of it, this perverse kind of stuff. But I think it all, I mean, if there is anything, if there, if truth does exist in the realm of like consciousness or in, in how we engage reality, let's say, then we will revert to the mean over time. Right. And, and I, I think we will, I think we'll return to that hero archetype that we've been exploring. It'll take on a different form because our ability to represent ideas is expanding possibly exponentially. And so that will give us a greater clarity and complexity over these ideas. And because we use those ideas to reorient and reintegrate and upgrade ourselves, that's going to mean dramatic transformation in ourselves, right? And this, this feedback loop will continue on. And hopefully its very function is trying to discover greater and greater truth or trying to gain greater and greater clarity around the highest truth or the highest truths. I think that's its function, but you know, there's going to be these abominations in between because for whatever reason, you know, the encroaching chaos, the stultifying order, we're going to be, we're going to have these lulls, right? These where, where we go, where the pegs of stability or, or the, the hero archetype is lost for a period of time, right? That, the mediating force between those two things is out of balance, you know, Star Wars reference, insert here, right? Like the lack of balance in the force. And we're going to have to go through these periods that remind us why that manner of being is so important and is the proper way of being. And, I, you know, I think we're in that period right now. And I think Bitcoin is going to play a pivotal role in helping us come out of that and reestablish that stability and the mechanism for establishing the optimized order. And, and, you know, just a final, um, uh, comment on like religious narrative and stuff, because people would still, I think, re like rebuttal, have a rebuttal and say like, well, sure, maybe pragmatically it has a utility, but it's, that doesn't mean it's true. And it's like, well, well, hold on. Like, if there's an idea that orients your consciousness, how you engage with reality and aligning with that idea or acting or orienting yourself by that idea or that conception results in the best possible outcome for you and other people, how can you make a case that it's not real? It seems like it's the most real thing. Like, I just like, what, on what basis are you going to make an argument for something more real than that? Then the, funk, the, the capacity of an idea to orient behavior 
to elicit the best possible outcome balance between individual and uh, you know, collective or other people that that individual is interacting with. I mean, you say like, it's just a story. Like you're just using a word to dismiss it. Who cares what mm -hmm. word you place on it? It's, it's the thing by which you perceive that delivers the best possible experience of consciousness or reality. What's more real than that? Nothing. Yeah. It's what I, I just want to touch. I keep saying this is the last piece, but um, of, of this section, but the, as you were mentioning the, the kind of the peaks and troughs and the ebbing and flowing that society at the macro goes through, I guess, I guess we are in some sense, the prior static setup that we had is going through a major dynamic change, you know, and, and we, we are probably at the macro societal scale, right? In some, we're probably in the belly of the whale at the moment, uh, phase of the hero's journey. And society as the hero is going to rediscover the importance of being rooted to something sound basically and you know bitcoin is the the thing that shines through you know so maybe i don't know in that sense i'm kind of describing society as the hero itself going on the journey you know it's been on this long journey uh and it's attempted all these things and it's about to emerge from the belly of the whale with this new tool with this new armor with this new sword called bitcoin um you know one could argue that bitcoin could be the hero in, in some sense but yeah maybe maybe there's something to be said about that is like it, it, it's it's like a, for me it's a promethean idea like prometheus was kind of like the original hero right he, he went in and stole the fire from the gods and and when i when i did bitcoin times edition three like i had this epiphany i wrote it uh, in 2020 and I wrote that utopian dystopias piece back then as well. And it was right in the doldrums of the like the peak fucking hysteria, right? Europe was locking down again and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, man, the fucking world has completely lost its mind. And I, I remember a quote that I said in there is like I said, the 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 darkest night, um, something, something, you know, the precedes the the light and all this sort of stuff. It's like so the the greatest hero emerges from the point at which the greatest um you know hardship is endured right mm. and i guess you know we maybe we're not maybe it's not that the hero doesn't exist it's that the hero is being forged at the moment maybe that's a good framing in terms of where we are on the journey yeah totally you know and to a couple of your points one i think uh you know, you said like, is it society going through, you know, is the hero or is Bitcoin the hero? Like, again, I think they can, they can be both, right? This, yeah, this yeah, yeah. fractal nature means that it's kind of the same, the same pattern is available on many different scales. <clears throat> and yeah, to your point, of course, like, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn and the hero, you know, emerges when he's most needed and, He's transformed in the process, right? Again, the idea of the phoenix rising from the ashes, the idea of, you know, in, in many of these uh, religious stories, Jesus being one of them, they die and then they come back. And so, it, again, I think this speaks to what we were saying before, like 
if <clears throat> something fundamental either has to change or has changed, it means the people that have been receiving the signals and the conditioning and working with all the data of the prior environment to become who they are, if all that data is now going to change, if the, the landscape of potential has now changed, then that means that they're going like they they are insufficiently prepared for that landscape because they've they've developed into who they are based on an entirely different landscape. So pursuing these these ideals and having the courage to shed the skin, you know, a snake is another common animal in in these stories mm -hmm. because it, it sheds its skin to be able to have the courage to relinquish all the things that you know about yourself and your identity that give you confidence and comfort in the world, having the courage to relinquish them in service of these higher ideals in order to transform yourself into someone who's capable of operating in the new paradigm, new dimension, new environment, new set of circumstances. That's like, that's always or very often in these stories. And I think it's true for all of us, which is, you know, which is why elements of, of the thing that we're wrapped up in can be uncomfortable, you know, and also why community is an important part, because even though this is an individual journey for every single person, it's nice to be able to share experiences, you know, compare notes, share tips with other people that are going through the same thing to be like, we're being, you know, burned off, we're burning off the old stuff and we're reconstituting ourselves to be more able to discover and express and accrue value in a new domain, let's say. And it's uncomfortable to become the person that's most capable of doing that when we were, when we, we were developed, we were molded by an entirely different set of circumstances and a different, um, different signals of value, let's say. And so it's tough. And, and I think the last two years, we've all realized like, uh, there's a realness to everything that's like done in the last two years. Cause you realize the old system stultifying and the, the requisite tyranny that's needed to try to hold it together as it's falling apart. Like you can get, you're going to be caught up in that most likely. And the, all the discomfort and all the anger and the frustration and the rage and all that kind of stuff, like it, it may be justified, but it's also, that is the burning off process. You re, you coming to better terms with how to negotiate or integrate those various emotions or ideas or stuff that pop up as a result of this radically transforming environment and both internally and externally is the task before you, you know, and, and, and that's what the hero does. You know, they, they do their best to meet the moment with like the best aspects of themselves with the most virtuous behavior that they're capable of recognizing that much of them will probably be reoriented or destroyed in order to do that. And what pops out the other side, if the hero survives, a metaphorical death most often, but you know, the risk of actual death is ever present with the hero because that gives the whole transformation, the, the required gravity um, is something way better. Is a hero more capable of, of being true to those principles and, and uh, participating and engaging in that new environment on more optimal terms than they otherwise or previously were capable of? Thank you listening to the wake up podcast find us on the fountain app and send us a boost with a comment 
I'll try and read them each week and send you a shout out. And remember to grab a copy of the Uncommunist Manifesto and join us in defeating the plague that is consuming our world. Yeah.